Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Further your future with the postgraduate course at the Institute of Art, Design and Technology, Dunleary. Join us for our virtual open evening on Wednesday, 19th of April at 7 p.m. Find out about our unique industry-focused postgraduate courses in film and media, UX design, cyber psychology, equality, diversity and inclusion, business, art and design. IADT Postgraduate Open Evening, Wednesday the 19th of April at 7pm. Visit iadt.ie. Infinite complacency. People went to and fro the earth about their little affairs, serene in the assurance of their dominion over this small, thinning fragment of solar driftwood, which by chance or design, man has inherited out of the dark mystery of time and space. Can you hear me? Yeah, that sounds really good. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Yes, I can. All right, awesome. Yeah, the the earphones are usually the best way to do it. And besides, who wants to hold their, their phone to their ear for a whole hour? It gets a little sore, so. Exactly. Well, thank you for doing exactly. this. Exactly. No problem. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, I don't know how much... And first of all, welcome. Thank you for doing this. I read your email, mm-hmm. and I have to say... I think I emailed you right back because I, I went through your bullet yep. point list that you sent me and I was like, well, I, this is fantastic. And I hope that you actually would like to talk about this on the show. And you said, yes. So thank you for that. And I don't mm-hmm. know how much you want to go into your, your professional background as far as how long you've been doing it or course. I, no, I can do that. Okay. I just don't want to give my, my last name or anything totally like that. Understandable. I'll even, I'll even kind of keep my my education background a a secret. So yeah, and we don't even have to let people know the state that you're in. I'm completely always fine with sure. that. So uh, yeah. yeah, so yeah, whatever you want to share, just to let people know uh, who you are and and what you do and why we're talking about this today. Okay, well, I'm um, my name is Mark. I live in the Midwest and. Um, 
currently I work as a physician assistant in an emergency room, uh, but I also do hospitalist work as well. Um, so meaning, you know, patients that need to be admitted to the hospital, um, if they're an unassigned patient or if they don't have a primary care provider, typically the mid-levels, and when I say mid-levels, I mean nurse practitioners and physician assistants where it's kind of a mid-level centric system. So we kind of basically run the ER. Um, we don't have a physician backup or anything like that. So we'll admit them to the hospital and take care of them there. Or, um, it's a small hospital, um, 19 beds, uh, we see about oh, 250, 300 patients um, a month, sometimes 350, depending on the month. And then previous to that, I was uh, I was a paramedic for in a town, you know, urban area of about roughly 100,000 people. Busy hospital-based EMS system that uh, we do. Uh, 10 to 14 calls a shift, pretty busy, did it. I started actually <clears throat> my career in high school. I started volunteering on a ambulance service and just kind of worked my way up and now I'm doing this. So actually started when I was 16 and I'm, you know, so I've been doing it half my life now, basically mm -hmm. emergency medicine. I liked, I liked one of the descriptions that you put in your email as far as what you're doing, especially right now, because it's even coroner work and uh, the start to the finish as far as when they come in, depending on what happens. Yeah. You described yep. it as northern exposure meets three animator. I like that. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the way it is. You know, it is uh, up in, you know, in the northern Midwest. And so a lot of it... Uh, in order to do a job here in a rural community, I always tell people, you know, you really kind of have to have your emergency medicine game together because you're not going to have a surgeon or an anesthesiologist or a, a doctor or anybody to back you up, you know? So mm -hmm. I always say, if you could have been a, a paramedic before, especially if you were a flight paramedic or if you work for a, a busy hospital-based EMS system, you're going to do a lot better just because, you know, especially with our elderly population. I mean, we've got so many older patients in here and a lot of them are have a lot of chronic medical conditions and they come in and they're in respiratory failure and you've got to make decisions right now. And sometimes those decisions aren't the easiest to make because and a lot of, you know, a lot of it too is, uh, I think family members have, uh, you know, family members move away and they don't see their parents every day and they don't see them decline. Mm -hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> they don't realize that they don't have a good quality of life, but they still keep them on that. Yes. We want everything done yeah. category. And then, you know, like this, this year I had, a uh, like a 96 year old lady from the nursing home that came in in respiratory failure and uh i was like well you know we need to do something quick so i called her daughter she lived in uh southern minnesota and i called her and i said uh i said you know i said your mom's really not doing well we need to um in, you know need to intubate her put her on a ventilator and um you know put a tube in her throat and breathe for her 
know, I said, we need to do it now if we're going to do it. I said, what are your, what are her wishes? Oh yeah, I want everything done. So we did. And then, you know, once they're, once they're intubated and once they're on all the machines and stuff, um, we can take care of them in the ER just fine, but they have to go to an intensive care unit, which Mm -hmm. we don't have. So they need to go to a, to a tertiary care facility, a bigger facility to be their flown or, or ground transported to a, a bigger hospital with an ICU and uh, where they can either recover or not recover or, you know, whatever. And sometimes they're in the ICU for weeks. It's, you know, so I can't keep them in the ER all the time because I got four beds. I need those for my ER patients. And um, so we've got her, we don't check to see if the hospitals are full or not before we intubate, we take care of the patients and get them stabilized. And then, so then I started calling hospitals and um, all the hospitals were full. So by the time I got done, I I finally found a bed at the hospital that I used to work as a paramedic. And um, so I I call up and the ER doc's like, Hey, Mark, what's going on? You know, I haven't talked to you in forever. Mm -hmm. And I I had heard he had had a, had, uh, had a cancer scare himself. So we were talking about that. And I was like, Oh yeah, by the way, (laughs) I've got this 96 year old lady um that was in respiratory failure and now she's on a vent and he's like you intubated a 96 year old i said i'm sorry i Uh, couldn't help it yeah i was like i know i wanted to let her go to the light but you know her family wanted everything done and we did and and you know what she recovered so really it was it was kind of yeah she did wow it was probably she had pneumonia yeah yeah Yeah. for sure are you well, I know you're used to it probably by now, but by the time you were a PA, because you had already done all mm. this EMS work and everything, were you yep. very used to seeing all the gore and talking to the family members by the time you became a PA? Yeah, I was. And that, <clears throat> that's, that's the other thing, too, that is so beneficial to having that EMS background is, yeah, I mean, I was, I, I remember when I was a kid, um, a lady down the street. Um, I was I was a senior in high school, so I was a I was a veteran EMS worker by now. You know, I'd been doing it for a couple, probably two years. Actually, I think I was maybe in college, and I would think I was home for the weekend, and I took call. And um, the uh, the neighbor lady down the street wasn't feeling well, and uh, uh, she went down into the basement, and subsequently had a heart attack and died lady that I've known my entire life, good friends with her and her husband. Uh, our dogs had puppies together. I mean, seriously, you know, she lived like five doors down. So middle of the night, we get the call over to the residence, uh, somebody who's unresponsive, we get there and this poor lady that I've known since I was a little kid is dead, you know, up against. And mm. But she was between the toilet. She was sitting up against the wall between the toilet and the wall. And so she was all, and her head was kind of between her legs. So if you, I don't know, if you, if you have a bot, somebody that's died like that, mm-hmm. um, they just don't look very good. Lots of rigor mortis, uh, lividity where the blood kind of pools in the face and things like that. And she just didn't look good. And uh, so by the time we got her carried up the stairs and out to the ambulance, her daughter showed up mm-hmm. and her daughter's a little... I knew that I knew she was a little bit unstable. I knew she'd 
had issues with drugs and kind of some mental health issues. So she comes running up to the ambulance and she's like, I want to see my mom. I want to see my oh. mom. And I said, you know what? I'll let you see your mom, but just listen to me because I know you and you know me. Why don't you wait until after we get her to the funeral home? She doesn't look very good right now. We'll wait for her to yeah. they'll do their magic and she'll look great. And every time I ever, you know, I don't go home very much anymore because both my parents are deceased and they don't live there anymore. So I'm kind of not from that area anymore. But um, so I was doing that thing. Yeah, I told people that, you know, their sons and daughters had died. And, you know, a few times by the time I was out of high school even. So that Did definitely is very beneficial yeah did that young lady take your advice and wait or did she want to see her mother she did yeah that's good yep she did wait and um and that's what i was saying like every time i i've I've seen her a few times at funerals or you know community events or fundraisers i'll go back home and and you know help out or whatever and and she's like you know i'm so glad that you Mm. (laughs) intervened and caught me you know because that would have stayed uh, with like that you, mental you know, picture, which you would never would have been able to dispel. Get rid of it, yeah. 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 And sometimes, you know, I'm I'm a big uh, believer in open caskets and closure and stuff. But, uh, and, and even, you know, after an initial, even during a resuscitation, uh, if I've got a patient back there, especially if it's a kid, especially if it's an infant and they come back there and they see us doing our magic, if you want to call it that, and they Mm -hmm. see us that we're sweating and cussing and swearing and got everything hooked up and doing everything we can. And we're communicating with a pediatrician or a neonatologist or whatever, and, and see that we're, you know, really putting in an effort. It's, it's way better to do that than to, rush the patient into uh, the lobby and go back there and do your thing Mm. and then go back an hour later and say, that's it. We, we just called it or, you know, going back and say, what do you want to do? Yeah. I I'm a big fan of, uh, and, and really that's kind of what the, the American college of emergency physicians and everybody is an advocate of that, of bringing the patient's family back there and actually seeing what we're doing, you know? Yeah. And and in, in case it is a so, worst case scenario, it's like a preparatory thing for the family. Yep. Yep. And then they can get some closure and say that we didn't, you know, yeah. you always worry that they'll think that you didn't put in a 100% effort. And especially in a smaller hospital, because we don't have all the technology and, and services available that you do at a facility like that. But if they can see that you're definitely doing everything that you can do, they'll get a lot better closure with that. Yeah. So. Well, Mark, let's jump into some of these bullet points that you sent me. Sure. And as I mentioned, I think we'll start out with kind of the theme of um, high strangeness and maybe what is on the other side. And we'll go into a little bit more of the lighthearted stuff, if that's what you want to call it. I feel bad for some of the people that you wrote what they did. It's not lighthearted to them, I'm yeah. sure, at this point, but we'll we'll kind of end no, with that. No. Um, so let's go ahead and open up with a bang here with number one, because this one really caught me off guard by the time I read through the whole thing. And it, this was the uh, the elderly lady who went into cardiac arrest. Why don't you tell us about that one? 
Yeah, so um, went out and got a patient uh, who was having uh, chest pain, and um, she, um, by the time she got into the hospital, she was, uh, she, you know, was, was doing okay, was responsive and everything, and then on the way there, she went into cardiac arrest. So she basically was having a massive heart attack when she got picked up, um, was having chest pain. And then on the way in, just her heart gave out and she went into cardiac arrest. So started resuscitating the patient, started CPR, defibrillated her, you know, shocked her chest and um, <clears throat> intubated her, put a tube in her throat, started IVs, gave medications. And by the time she got to the hospital she had a pulse back so we um rushed her of course it's a cardiac arrest we rush her into the into the resuscitation room there's 10 15 people in there we're doing our thing the cardiologist is there we do an ekg and um rush her to the cath lab the, the cardiac cath lab where they do angioplasties if you've ever heard of that mm-hmm. um where they'll go into your groin or into your wrist and put a catheter into your coronary arteries in your heart and then do an angioplasty and then potentially put a stent into the into the coronary artery to open up the artery mm-hmm. so there we go into the to the cath lab and get that coronary opened and up to the icu and stabilized and she subsequently goes home well after that type of an event you're going to have some Typically, you know, initially, hopefully it will recover, but you'll have some some memory issues and potentially some brain damage after you've had cardiac arrest. And a lot of times it's reversible. But uh, and maybe she didn't know. Maybe she had some dementia. I, I guess I never met the woman when she was anything but very sick. And um, so a couple of weeks later, she calls the hospital and she ends up talking to the hospital um, or the ER supervisor, a uh, manager, and he calls us all in and he's like, did you leave a patient in the garage? And, um, we're like, no, why would we, you know, that, that wouldn't even happen. Even if they weren't in cardiac arrest, there's no way he's like, well, there's this lady that called and said that, you know, she came in on the ambulance and she was having a heart attack and that you guys left her in the garage and you were walking in and out of the ER and nobody would talk to her. None of the ambulance drivers would talk to her. This is what she said. Cause that, mm. that's, that's like drives me nuts when we get called ambulance drivers. But <laughs> yeah. so anyway, it's like, uh, okay, well, did you look her up? And then he's like, well, no, not yet. But I was just wondering. So he looks her up and he's like, well, she was in cardiac arrest. And all of us at the same time were like, what and then we remembered it you know it's like no she was a code we brought her in and went over to the cath lab with her and then we all kind of like instantaneously thought of that at the same time it's like okay she was in the garage by herself no one would talk to her it's like so what happened there so I don't know if if we resuscitated her and, you know, I, I would guess that maybe your spirit left her body and then it 
I, I don't know, but she doesn't remember anything about that. And our boss just kind of reassured her and she never really was a hundred percent happy with the answer for that. I think mm-hmm. she still really thought that we left her in the garage, oh, which was I'm obviously not the case, but yeah, yeah but <clears throat> we all thought at the same time, you could just see, you know, the looks on her faces. And it's like my partner that I was, or the guy that I was working with, he, you know, we're both Catholic, you know, so we're a little voodoo anyway. <laughs> and we're just like, that is freaky. You know, how did she, <laughs> yeah, that is just bizarre. So what, <clears throat> so the answer that you guys gave her was just literally, no, that didn't, that didn't happen. And she just had we, to accept Yeah. That. We didn't leave you. Yeah. We didn't leave you in the garage. You were very sick and, and her family was there, of course, and they reassured her and her family, her daughter was just as freaked out as we were by the whole thing. And, um, you know, but she, she called on her own, mm. um, I think actually from a, from like a nursing home or something or an assisted living. And, uh, so we told her and her daughter reassured her that, you know, mom, I was there, you know, when they were working on you and they didn't leave you in the garage or wow. that... reassured her that that wasn't the case. So she's like stewing on it for two weeks. She's like, I'm going to call those boys and give them a piece of my mind that they left me alone. Exactly. Yeah, probably started getting the bills and uh-huh. was a little miffed about that and right. thought it was a good time to complain. That's unreal. Yeah, I'm sure that yeah. I could see your faces now. That's pretty amazing, actually, that story. I, I really like that one. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, that was pretty crazy. My dad, um, he he actually had a cardiac arrest at the hospital that I work at, and uh uh, he, we got him back and then he lived for another two months of, it was not good, but I remember talking to him afterwards and he was, he was never a religious, he, he was religious sort of because it was the right thing to do and went mm-hmm. to church and stuff, but he, he would, he would never, ever talk about, about spirituality or anything like that. And I remember going to he was in cardiac arrest for probably mm, five, seven minutes. You know, I mean, I was, I was there with him as a family member, but in a 19 bed hospital, you get called for a code and it's your dad, you're going to work, you know, I mean, they're going to put you to work. So I went in the, it was actually in surgery where it happened. And um, so went in there and he was having a colonoscopy and uh, too much medication and I think got hypoxic. But oxygen level was low. And anyway, so he ended up going to the big hospital, got transferred because of this cardiac arrest and <clears throat> was in the ICU for a, a two days. And then they took him off a ventilator. And I remember sitting in the ICU with him, uh, just me and him. And with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And so I, I, I was already by this time, I don't know if I was listening in, in, into the fray, but I was listening. I think it was maybe before into the fray, but I was like listening to uh, uh, Darkness Radio. So I have mm-hmm. always had this interest in near-death experiences. So I'm like sitting there like dad did you do you remember anything and and he started saying you know he's like he's like you know i don't remember a lot of it and he was pretty out of it at this time um you know he just gotten off the ventilator so he still had those medications in his system and and uh i said do you remember anything or seeing a light or anything and he just kind of started laughing <laughs> he's like no i didn't see a light but He's like, I know this. I don't have anything to worry about. And from that day on to like the end of his, till he died, and I was with him there when he died. Um, he he kept on reiterating that I don't have anything to worry about. So apparently, he got this sensation that he had lived a good life and that that he didn't have anything to worry about. Apparently, so that had to be. He really kept good on to reiterating hear. that. It was, and you know when I was. I was there. He died in that happened right I think on November eighteenth and he finally he died, I think it was January second. And uh so I was with him during that process too. And he wanted to go so bad. I, it was absolutely the most terrifying experience for me because he was still a very physically strong guy. Mm-hmm. And he would sit up in bed and he would look at the corner of the room and he would like his hand, hands would go out and then he would just get exhausted and he would lay back down and it's like, mm. and breathe, hyperventilate, like he was seeing something and I don't know what he was seeing because he was out of it, but you know, he wasn't able to, right. to say, I was like, dad, what are you seeing? I, and he would, he wouldn't wasn't able to say, but he was just, he wanted to go so bad. He wanted to climb out of bed and shimmy up the wall if he could have. So kind of a crazy experience. That must've been really, really difficult to see every day him go through that. It, it was. And, uh, but in the same token, I've got that medical background. So I knew that he had no quality of life. Right. He wasn't feeling well. And, uh, and also because I was the medical person in the family, I was with him through all of his 
medical events and I was like, it was, it was good. I was, so I had a good relationship with him too. Mm-hmm. We'd spent lots of time together, lots of hours together. And, uh, I knew that it was best that he not be here or not be going through that, uh, uh, all the medical issues that he was going through anymore. So, yeah. So I had good closure with it. My brothers, not so much because they didn't have that great of a relationship, but with me, it was, it was much easier just because I was able to say goodbye and, and, uh, he died in my arms, you know, so it was wow. much easier for me to deal with that, you know? Yeah. So, well, let's move through to, uh, the ghost in the elevator, the ghost of a doctor. Okay. Well, there, there's, um, a story of a, we don't really, they don't really know which doctor it is, but the elevator door, and, and it's, it's kind of odd because I've, I've read this on a, on a forum somewhere at this particular hospital, this doctor would go into the elevator and uh, they'll see somebody walking basically with a lab coat, goes to the elevator, and then the person will go run and catch the elevator, hmm. or they'll hit the up button, and then the door opens, and then the doctor isn't there anymore. There's no doctor in the elevator. So it's, and that's happened like dozens and dozens of times, usually late at night, um, usually, um, usually sort of in the middle of the night is somebody's going up to the up to the floor or to the unit or something to take, take care of a patient and, and um, like the house supervisors and, and nurse supervisors and stuff see it a lot because they're all over the hospital doing different things and dealing with different situations. So um, that's who I heard it from was from one of the house supervisors. She said, I, you know, I hit the button and Mm. she said, I thought it was, you know, doctors, the hospitalist or something going up the elevator and I hit the, that it was a full figured apparition. Wow. Uh, looked like a, you know, it wasn't see-through or anything like that. And she said, I, he was walking into the elevator as I was coming around the corner mm. and, uh, <clears throat> I ran and grabbed the door and the door opened and he wasn't there. It wasn't the wrong car. It was, that was the car, you know? And she's like, how did, how was the, it had to have been, because she said how the door was, partially open when she got the door you know so right. it's like what opened that you know right like something had to activate it yep exactly that is so interesting see there's there's something about hospital and then you take it in the middle of the night and i've been to hospitals in the middle of the night it's it's quiet as a grave for lack of a better term it's usually a very quiet place it's cold and I mean, for most of you guys that work there, I'm sure you're obviously a little more used to it than those of us that don't. But there's something really creepy about a hospital in the middle of the night. So that just adds to it. Yeah. Yeah. I used to hate going down to the morgue. And, Mm. you know, if we had a a body that we'd have to bring or I hated going down there alone. That was that always just freaked me out. I I don't know why. And um Remind me to tell you a really funny morgue story if you're going to, but we can do that at the end. Yeah, I'm going to write that down. It was a prank. Yeah. Yep. Those two things I, don't usually like, go together, so we have to tell that story, a funny morgue story, right? Yeah, exactly. How about we go the picture taken at the fatal car accident? 
Oh, yeah. So we uh, went on a motor vehicle accident uh, out in the country, out on a country road. And um, my voice is, I'm getting a cold. It sounds like my voice is breaking up, but I'm not crying. I promise you. It's just my voice. It's kind of odd right now. You live in that part of the country. Um, Colds are uh, a normal thing, especially up there. And I deal with sick patients, so I guess that's to be expected. Yeah. Um, So anyway, we uh, uh, go on this motor vehicle accident. This kid had been um, driving extremely high rate of speed. I think it ended up being that he was on, like, methamphetamine. Mm. And um, he rolled his car... um, and he got ejected and um we uh up there when i worked as a paramedic we were basically proxy for the the medical examiner the county medical examiner up there so we were kind of deputized coroners if you worked as a paramedic so we were taking some pictures of of the body and of the of the car and trying to get um everything out good pictures taken for the medical examiner so she could put it in her report. And um, so there's a picture of, you know, this, this body uh, laying on the ground. The car was actually right next to him. So he must've, I don't know if you've ever seen footage of a rollover, but a lot of times a car will roll and then the body goes ahead of the car and then the car rolls over him. That's generally the mechanism of injury that kills these patients. Mm-hmm. That's why you wear your seatbelt. So the car was actually must have just rolled over him once because he was like right outside of the car. Mm-hmm. Um, and the car had rolled like multiple, multiple times. And um, <clears throat> so you can see, you know, there's lights, you know, emergency lights uh, on the scene. But the car, it was in the summer. The car wasn't running. Um, we deal with a lot of steam and things like that just when it gets really cold and breath and things like that. So there wouldn't be anybody breathing steamy air or, and, you know, bodies in the cold will steam when the, they're exposed to the air. They'll, they'll steam, basically. Steam will come off of them as they're cooling off. And so it was, it was a summer day, you know, or summer night, I guess it was hot summer night, uh, no fog or anything like that. And you can see this like sort of a red, um, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, red, um, iridescent sort of a wispy thing above the body, you know, on this picture. And, uh, you know, it was, this was back in the days where we didn't have digital cameras. Mm-hmm. Not everybody didn't have digital cameras. It was before smartphones. It was Polaroids basically. So I don't know if it was a film thing or something, but I remember taking that and I remember it being shown to a couple people. And it's like, what do you make of that? And it's like, well, that's freaky. And even the, um, even the medical examiner, uh, who was uh, a vowed atheist, you know, she was kind of like, well, I don't know how to explain that. She said, that is kind of an odd picture, isn't it? And I said, yeah, I mean, 
very scientific, very analytical person, you know, didn't have any religion and, uh, mm-hmm. she couldn't really explain that, but I, I, I would have made sense if it would have been in the winter and there would have been exhaust and steam and jaws of life running and all of that. But it was very clear right all over the body. Um, it didn't really have a shape, but it was, it was kind of a freaky picture. That's for sure. Would you hazard to say that most of you folks that are in this profession are because you see it so much and maybe you do see some odd things that you can't explain that maybe most of you folks believe in this sort of thing a little easier than most of us? Um, I would guess, I would guess probably almost the opposite. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. I mean, you hear bumps and, and, uh, you know, sometimes you see, I think sometimes people see stuff that they didn't want to see mm-hmm. and they don't say anything about it kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, it's probably, it's probably a little of both, I suppose. I mean, I know some paramedics and nurses and doctors who are very, very religious and have a very strong faith um, background and, and really believe in that kind of thing. But there's a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of us who are very, very, very cynical and that's it. You've, shuffled off the mortal coil you know so beyond the you know yeah beyond the shared looks like with what happened with the older lady in the getting stuck in the garage besides the shared looks and saying oh that's that was weird that's about where it is you guys don't really chat about this kind of stuff the those the guy the guy that that was on that call with actually there was a couple of or a couple of us that got called in on that we all had we all had some uh, interest or I wouldn't say interest in paranormal, but mm-hmm. we under, we had a, a spirituality. So we all, and actually our manager did too. He actually went to the same church I did actually me and one of the guys, one of the paramedics that I was with, and then the manager all went to the same church too. So we were all kind of like naturally crazy. So we didn't have too many. Um, I've kind of gotten away from, I think I've maybe become a little more cynical in my older years. I'm not nearly as spiritual as I used to be. Mm-hmm. So I kind of fall into that latter category, but I still definitely have, I guess I shouldn't say I'm, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. Let's put it that way. Um, so, but there wasn't too many cynical people in the room at that, on that one, as I recall. If you could, it's probably going to be almost an impossible question to answer. Or maybe, it, maybe something will jump out at you. What was the worst thing that you ever saw in your EMS days? Oh man, you know that's that that's a hard question because there's there's many div, there's many um, different types of worst. There's worst as in most tragic. Um, there's worst as in the grossest. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go with grossest. Let's go there. Oh, good Lord. That's an easy one. Okay. So I was, um, any, when I was on the ambulance service, I also volunteered for a fire department in kind of the Metro area. Um, it's a volunteer fire service in an area that 
was about to be annexed by the city. Um, so it's kind of like one of those little towns that is still there, but it's kind of in the city limits almost. And um, uh, we got, this was in the early 2000s. So there was a lot, a lot of methamphetamine in this area. And there was a lot of methamphetamine um, people producing it at home. So we would get called a lot to stand by um, well, they would go, the cops would go kick in the door and bust these meth labs mm-hmm. and they wouldn't, they, they all had scanners, radio scanners. So they wouldn't say where you're going over the radio. They would just say, meet at the, the fire hall or meet here, meet there or whatever. So we got one of those pages over the radio and, um, I was actually going to go to work that night. And uh, this was probably three o'clock in the afternoon. So I, uh, got out of bed and was, had been having a nice little nap, getting ready for my night shift. And, um, went into work or went to the, was going to the fire hall. And as I was, uh, getting to the fire hall, the police chief was <clears throat> heading from the fire hall down the road. He's like, Oh, thank God you're here. <laughs> and I said, why? He's like, just follow me. And it's like 90 degrees outside, 95 degrees outside. I've got the window down listening to some tunes and I had my, my turnout gear, my, my firefighting clothes and I had a medical bag in my car. So a lot of times I would meet him right on scene. Um, so anyway, I turned around went to the, and got off the, the highway. And just as I pulled off the highway, there's a trailer about half a mile down the road. And I pulled off the highway on the gravel road and already I can smell dead body. And I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good. <laughs> it's been like 95 degrees for uh, like a month. You know, it's just been super, super hot. Mm-hmm. We were like in a heat wave. That's hot. I know that's not hot for you, but. Yeah, okay. your your area is a little more humid than, than mine. It is. Yes, it is. So we get there and um, the same medical examiner that I was telling you about before, she's there. Um, there is a deputy sheriff who is vomiting out in the front yard. Oh God. And, uh, so we go to the medical examiner and, um, I said, what's going on? And she said, (laughs) I said, I'm guessing there's a dead body. She said, yeah, you guys are going to need to put on your, um, air packs. And I'm like, Whoa, really? Cause she, this lady had worked uh, like in New Orleans and um, she worked down in a lot of different, you know, like down in the South. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's kind of a famous person. And, and so she's worked in a lot of different places and, uh, you know, has been a pathologist for a long time and seen a lot of stuff. And when she says you've got to get the air mask, cause it's really bad. <laughs> it's really bad. Like, oh, so crap. yeah, this isn't going to be good. So me being the, young whippersnapper that I was thought I don't need an air pack. There's no way that I need, I can handle this. So this farm that this, this uh, building is in, it was actually a trailer house. No power to it. You know, everything's overgrown. It's just a nasty, 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 nasty farm, you know, and walk in, walk up those, those metal trailer park steps. And uh, the first thing you see is the whole place is just filled with garbage. Up the wall, there's buckets with, 
urine and feces. He hasn't had running water for months mm. or years probably. And right in the middle of the room is this body that has fallen. He was face first down on the ground and he was so bloated that his pants ripped and his clothes like ripped off of him. He was like the tick. It was like, he was like four times his normal size. And the first thing you see is his behind is pointed right at the door and his butt, like his anus is rotted out. Oh my goodness. And there's like a bajillion fly eggs on it. Mm. And he is covered in maggots, millions of maggots all over this body. He's kind of a bluish green kind of a color. And he's been on the floor for so long that the floor is spongy. Mm. It's like all the fluids were seeping out. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I get next to this body and jump up and down, I'm going to end up standing on the ground. How long? So do you get a snapshot then pretty much instantly how long he's been there because of the degradation? She figured about three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. She figured about three weeks. (sighs) And uh, so it's like, oh, uh, yeah, I'm going to go put on my air pack. And um, (laughs) so... We go out to the we go out to the uh, rescue truck and we had like you know hazmat suits those you know you see them on TV mm-hmm. when it's they're doing the plane crash investigation. I always feel so sorry for those people because those suits are yeah. so freaking hot. Yeah, and um, we and it's always in a swamp. Of course. So yeah. we're putting the putting our putting our air packs on. You're putting your your uh, um you know a Tyvek suit on, and um. I was like, okay, it's it was me and and two other guys that that had had a, you know the two other guys were like an assistant chief and I think they were both actually one was one was like a captain and one was an assistant chief I was a captain and then we had one brand new guy mm. one it was his, well, he hard. wanted to go in there so bad <laughs> he wanted to go I, I'll go in there I'll go in there it's like no just you know what this is like one year first no 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 I want to go in and it'll be a good experience and it's mm. like okay you're sure it's like yeah and so we let him and we had to cut a hole in the actually he was so bloated we had to cut a hole in the wall where the where the door met to get the body through the door it was so bloated what did the new guy do did he how long did he last in there did he put his he 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 put his little air pack on and then he went in or he just went in that was no he put his air pack on Mm -hmm. that was the funny thing because as soon as he got in there he starts going oh (laughs) And it's like, yeah, you need to get out of here because if you vomit with that thing on, oh, yep. you're going to drown to death in your own vomit. Yeah. And then we have another problem. And that's not going to be a good way to go. Yeah. No, no, no asphyxiation. So, yeah, exactly. Because it's like positive pressure. It's going to like shoot that stuff into right. your lungs. You know, right. you don't want to do that. Um. So he didn't last too long. He, he sucked his air air tank down and he was brand new. He didn't know how to uh-huh. breathe. You have to learn how to breathe on those things. Yeah. So he sucked his air tank down in about seven and a half minutes. So <laughs> we, uh, we started clearing buckets of feces and garbage and TV dinners out of the way. And, um, the other guys were cutting the hole on the side of this house 
and uh, we just got a big piece of plywood because he wouldn't fit on like a backboard or anything, you know. Oh so we goodness. got this like basically a full size sheet of plywood, put the body on it, rolled the body over onto it, put a tarp over it, and then just carried him out to the the yard of this place. And he's still covered in maggots, you know. It's just like a bajillion maggots all over the thing, all over this poor guy. And the and the lady, the <clears throat> medical examiner goes, um, goes, you know, let's just. She says, I'm just going to do a quick look over the body, and if there's no stab wounds or anything like that um, that I can see, we're just gonna, we're not going to take this body to the hospital. And uh, so we actually got the fire truck cranked up, took the fire hose off, shot the maggots off the body. Oh, wow. That was how many maggots were on the body. And uh, made sure that there was no, you know, stab wounds or anything like that. She kind of did a a poor man's autopsy in the front yard of this guy's house. And, I mean, if she would have cut into that body, we all would have died right there, I swear. Yeah. So then it's like, okay, what are we going to do with the body? So by that time, this poor deputy, who was an experienced deputy, had found this guy's next of kin. And um, he was like a nephew who lived in Idaho or something like that. And it's like, um, yeah, do you know your uncle, whoever? Oh, yeah, I've heard of him. Well, he's got you down as his next of kin. Oh, okay. Um, well, he died um several weeks ago and uh if we have your permission it probably would be best if we cremated this patient this person your your uncle so he's like oh yeah that's fine so then then the the fire chief goes to me he goes because our ambulance service covered this fire service area he says well you gotta call or call the uh the ambulance to have him come pick up this body i said <laughs> I said, if you think I'm putting that body mm. in the back of one of my ambulances, I said, you were on crack. That, that smell would happening. probably never come out, huh? It wouldn't. No, I can still smell it, I swear. And uh, so it's like, I said, well, let's put him in the rescue truck, you know, and bring him to the, because the crematorium was kind of right on the edge of town. We called ahead to the crematorium. Mm. We're like, preheat the 350. Fire it up, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh so we actually ended up uh, transporting them in the back of one of our fire pickups. We, I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like a heartless thing to do, but I mean, we covered them with, you know, tarps and put them in a body bag, a super large body bag and, and everything. But it was like a mile and a half drive to the, to the, that wasn't a mile. It was probably, it was less than five mile drive to the crematorium and we rode with and checked and made sure and, and got the poor guy in there and, mm. and cremated because it was just, it was so bad. See, I find just, that fascinating. Just the logistics of getting him out of his own house. It's, I mean, yeah, it's fascinating. Poor guy. He didn't though. take very God. good care of himself. Yeah, no. I know. The sad thing was, is, is he had a, the guy who discovered him was uh, delivering water. He, was, he had like a cistern. So, mm-hmm. you know, they would, a lot of these, they, they're not hooked up to rural water. So the guy comes and delivers the water out to the residents. And he actually checked for a pulse. <laughs> I was no like, well, I'm sure kidding. glad he didn't try to do mouth to mouth on him. Oh, man. 
bless his heart for doing that. <laughs> bless his heart. Yep. I didn't. I didn't feel a pulse. Well, I'm. I'm glad of that. You're like I. I'm glad you, you didn't deserve do... a high oh. five for getting that close, and checking yeah. for the pulse yep. after what he looked like. Goodness me. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that was a good one. Off the cuff like that. That was bad. I, I put you on the spot there. Um, oh, well, so bad. Speaking of crematoriums and morgues, why don't we go ahead with that funny morgue story? Okay. Um, so I had a uh, paramedic student that was just, you know, the funny thing was, is she was, I think, a year younger than me. We actually had dated briefly in high school. And then she, you know, whatever, broke up. And this was this was years later. She decided that she was going to go to paramedic school. She'd already been to nursing school, and then she was going to go to paramedic school. And she'd always sort of had a, a thing with morgues, and she's a little dark. And I think that's probably why we got along okay. And um, so, but she just kept on bugging me and bugging my partners and stuff to take her down and show her the morgue. I want to see the morgue. I want to see the morgue. I want to see the morgue. And it's like, well, you know, you just don't, you just can't go down to the morgue and see the morgue, you know? And, um, and we didn't want to, obviously we wouldn't let her see bodies or anything like that, but the morgue that they have there is it, it doesn't have the, like the, the doors where the individual doors, it's just basically a big, like a a restaurant refrigerator okay with, yeah with cots in there basically so we made sure that there was no bodies down there cuz you can't have that obviously the people are need their privacy and we can't just let you go in so we thought you know she's been bugging us for weeks and weeks and weeks to go down to the morgue let's uh let's make this a little interesting so my partner went down there and got on cleaned off one of the tables lays on one of the the tables in the cooler so he's the only body in the cooler and uh so we're in there you know i i keyed my radio as we were coming down the stairs to let him know to get into position because i'm sure he didn't want to lay in the cooler there for too long yeah and we're just kind of looking around at you know the autopsy table and stuff and you know basically explaining how they do the autopsies and stuff and and uh knowing full well that my partner's in the in the cooler she's and she's like i want to look what's in the cooler and it's like no it's just you know like they'll put uh if somebody has like a leg amputated or something they'll put it in wrap it up in a box and it's i said there's nothing in there i said it's just all stuff that i said it's just beds and stuff there's nothing to see i want to see i want to see i'm like all right is there any bodies in there? I said, well, I don't know. Probably. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So we already knew that, you know, there wasn't any, but mm-hmm. so we open up the door and she gets, she goes all the way in there and she's going to lift the sheet up. And before she does, my partner oh. sits up. She ran out of the hospital, out of the hospital. This is like a 350 bed hospital. She ran out of the morgue down the hall up the stairs out the door and was like sobbing in the oh, parking lot oh like, shit oh maybe we shouldn't have done that oh boy but you know what she was so 
incessant, just like so, mm-hmm. like she could not, she was just like bugging us and bugging us to go see the morgue. She won't do and that it's again. Like, you know, I think it was a learning experience for her. Uh, yeah. I bet the people, the and other we folks her. in the hospital, like looking at like, what is wrong with that chick? She's just bombing ass in the hospital. It was, it was like three o'clock in the morning again. You oh, know? okay. When all, when all the, the folks there, yeah. Yeah, when all the, uh, yeah, when we all regress to our 12-year-old selves. Well, you have to to stay a little sane, so, I think. Yeah, yep. How long We've was had, she sobbing for before, I mean? Uh, well, my partner then came out, too, that, that did, and she was she was pissed for the rest of the shift, but she came back, so it was, it was pretty funny. You didn't get her to quit or anything, so it wasn't that bad. No, no, she's, no. Slightly traumatizing. Yeah, she'll still, she'll still, we're friends on Facebook. She'll still Facebook me and say, you know, you're such an asshole. I bet. <laughs> I bet she does. Yeah, she'll be like, yeah. She actually married one of the, uh, one of my, one of the other paramedics up there. So really? I don't know if he was in on that or not, but yeah. Yeah, just kind of a weird situation. It's like when one of your ex-girlfriends is like, a paramedic student and you're a paramedic it's like what what yeah. why how come what are you doing this for you know yeah it's just kind of weird yeah i guarantee she doesn't want to go down any more morgues she's just no that's all that replays is just the what she thought was a corpse just sitting straight up that's a that's a nope exactly yep yep that was all it took um let's see here what about Oh, I know which one I wanted you to touch on also, if it's okay, is you climbing under the running train after it had hit a guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I didn't do that. One of my partners did it. But, um, you know, I mean, that was, uh, I was on the call. Mm-hmm. Uh, just lots of uh, kind of heroic things. I mean, that guy... Got, we've had numerous people hit by trains and normally it's that was probably my my second most distressing call with a guy that got hit by a train and you know you're picking body parts up for a mile long you know but this guy actually with the train was going through a a, a downtown area sort of through the um where there's some street people and stuff so they always would go really slow through that area mm-hmm. and this guy um got hit by this train and basically um he was still in one piece and uh um was kind of bent uh over at the waist and we figure what happened was it just kind of kinked off his aorta because he was was a smaller guy um you know a skinnier guy and it um he was like you know his, his basically his face was on the ground and he was kind of bent in half at the waist uh, underneath the train on the pavement under the train yeah and And when um, you say kinked his aorta what do you mean by that well is it your aorta is the the main uh, artery that goes from your heart basically down to the rest of your body it's the biggest artery in your body it's like the size of a garden hose and um they figured that it probably just kind of compressed even maybe just completely compressed his chest but he was in cardiac arrest when they they basically backed the train off this guy my partner climbed under there to check a pulse and uh no pulse and then they backed the train off and um he he was still under there like 
getting getting this guy unstuck from all the underpinnings of the train and uh pulled it off of him and uh we got in there and started doing uh resuscitating him and got him back so kink like a garden hose so, basically kink like a garden hose yep like it didn't tear and that's amazing like nothing it didn't tear that yeah we we couldn't believe it either i mean we called we called uh, a trauma code at the hospital and you know surgeon everything were there and they did a fast scan on him it's an ultrasound scan to see if there's any internal injuries and um there wasn't anything and oh took him to the ct which is a better exam and then uh he didn't need to go to surgery right away so i guess uh, he ended up recovering so that is crazy. amazing like you said usually you're going to scenes like that and there's just body parts everywhere yeah 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 there's been numerous times uh the train tracks go right by the, the university and um somebody will be upset they're homesick and mm. they'll go jump out on the tracks and it's like body parts for i mean that happens on the regular <laughs> seems like you know i mean it's a pretty common thing and would that um, be a, i guess that would be a quick way to go but it wouldn't seem like it would it yeah, seems quite painful i don't know yeah i think it, i think that train is going a lot slower than people think right I I just there's a lot man I I could write a book on the final exit because that is that would not be my mm-hmm. choice for sure mm-hmm. I mean um that just is I mean I'm not advocating it but that just doesn't seem like a very good way to go but right. you know a lot of these people I, I think they feel they're trapped and they have to do something and I think jumping off of anything or trying to get hit Mm-hmm. by something um any of that kind of stuff is probably not the answer especially jumping off of stuff of heights because you get a couple seconds to think about stuff yeah you know and jumping off green elevators i mean i've had people jump off green elevators or jump off of uh overpasses in front of cars and semis that's always messed up because then the person that hits them yeah you know, it's always the poor semi driver from, you know, mm-hmm. Arkansas. And I just feel so terrible. You know, I wish I had seen him. Yeah, you know, he'll never, like, oh, he'll never sleep right again. Nope. You know, oh, you just ruined this guy's sleep for the rest of their life. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's not good. Yeah, you get hit by the train and somehow it misses all your, it misses your noggin, it misses your... Uh, your torso yep. where all the important stuff is and you just are missing a couple of limbs and you're laying on the train going, well, that was freaking stupid. Yep. And that's the other thing too is, you know, you have some permanent or you end up paralyzed. Right. So not only does your life suck, but you're paralyzed, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, that's going to make like it so Like you said, not that we're advocating suicide in any way, shape or form, but yeah, when no. you're, I mean, if you're, if we're going to weigh it, I mean, a train, no, no. Right. You know, I'll tell you one of the, you're asking about the worst call, mm-hmm. worst, whatever that I've taken care of. And I've had a few, I mean, I've had, I've had a lot of where it's like, oh, I really could have done without seeing that. Or I wish I would have not, you know, had to go through dealing with that. But, you know, I had a, I had a, um, I took care of a patient one time. It was, a a 15 or a 16 year old kid. And, uh, 
Um, I'd worked when I first got my paramedic, I worked in a smaller town, um, outside of this town that I'd worked in, uh, but I worked the primary or my primary job as a paramedic and, um, kind of when I first started and, um, this kid was, so I lived in the same town in, as this kid and I actually knew his parents sort of, I mean, it was a, like a town of like six, 8,000 people. So you get to know people. And, um, this kid uh, was playing Frisbee with his friend in the parking lot of actually the bank that I used to bank at. And the Frisbee somehow got stuck. This bank was kind of a newer bank building. It had kind of separate, different levels and stuff. And it got the wind took and it was up on top of this bank. And so this kid um, climbed the rock wall on this bank and goes up on the roof and it grabs his frisbee and subsequently falls off and uh ends up with like a a c3 burst fracture and is is a par- mm-hmm. is paralyzed for okay. you know the rest of his life so he um at that hospital that I worked at we would get we would get um if we weren't out on calls we would be working in the hospital you know we'd be dealing with patients in the ER or um, going over to CT or going up to, you know, taking care of, you know, patients that are really sick on the floor in the ICU. We were on the, if there was a, on the code team, they called it the cardiac arrest team. We would go and, and do our thing. And, um, and so I was over at CT with this kid and the, the ambulance service that I had used to work with brought him in. And it's like, yeah, this kid, you know, he was, he climbed the such and such a bank and fell off and, you know, he's got a C3 fracture and, you know, he's going to be paralyzed. And so I went over to CT with him, you know, he has no, uh, no function in his arms or legs. And we were over in CT and he's, you know, super, super quiet over and over in the ER and he was stable, you know, I mean, his vital signs were stable and he was over in CT and we had just got done doing a CT scan and I'm talking to him, you know, and, and he, he, it just, it struck him that he's going to be paralyzed for the rest of his life. It finally sunk in. And, um, and I remember him saying very quite loudly, he's like, I'm not going to be able to F my girlfriend. Oh, you know, that's, that's a first and I thing felt you said. So bad for him. Yeah. I just, I was about in tears. I'm like this poor freaking kid, oh. you know, he's, he's going just, he's through the list. Gonna... Yeah. Yeah. And he got to um. that. And it just pissed him off. Yeah. You know? How I'm sorry, and, how old you know, did you say this young man was? I think he was either fifteen or sixteen. Yeah. Bless his heart. Um and uh you know, I never did uh Yeah, I should uh I should make some I should make some phone calls because <laughs> I've got some friends, actually the guy that brought him over is still He's still uh, kicking the can down the road there. I think he's the manager now, but... uh, See how that kid's um, doing. See how he's doing if he ever, you know, because they took him to surgery then, but I never did look in to see if... uh, I think we were going on vacation or something. It was in the summer, so I think I didn't get a chance to look in on him then, but yeah, that was was sad. I mean, that was one of those things where you definitely get a lump in your throat. You know, it's not always the ones that that die it's just yeah you know sometimes you just get sometimes things just get to you i remember 
the call that that I said goodbye to EMS. I'd been working just a lot, lots and lots of overtime. I was, I'd been like the highest number of calls out of anybody on the ambulance service for a couple of years in a row and training people. I had charge paramedic and I was, you know, kind of at the top of my game from an EMS standpoint. And um, it was in the middle of the summer and it was just another hot summer day and everybody was just drunk and belligerent and like eight o'clock in the morning we had a guy in there from the night before that attacked a nurse and then um we ended up being a couple of the other paramedics and the security guard ended up tackling him outside of the nurse's station and piling him onto the bed because he had tried to well did attack a nurse and then uh later on that day we had another one because I remember it was the third patient that I had had attack or, you know, was uber belligerent with us that day. So I can't remember what the second one was, but the third one, we got called for somebody who was uh, walking down the street bleeding. You know, it's like, okay. And um, so we went over to this call and it was, um, uh, this lady was, uh, it was actually got called from a, uh, I think it was from a convenience store. Well, by that time she had walked home. So we go to the convenience store. She's not there. Unfounded call that happens all the time. We were heading back to our station or back to the hospital and uh, we get another call. Well, they found her. She's at her house. So we get there and um, this lady's got this arterial bleed on her mm. forearm. She has cut herself with a knife. And uh, I'll never, you know, things stick in your head. I don't know if you if you know that song, Ooh, That Smell by uh, um, Leonard Skinner. Yes, I do. Uh, Ooh, That Smell. You know, that's that's playing on the radio. I'll never forget that. It's in a trailer. It's just like this hippie trailer. There's like blue carpet and like beads. And she's like this old hippie lady. And um, her her girlfriend, lesbian couple, has HIV. Okay, so there's a good chance she's got HIV, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, technically, it's your sex partner. Chances are you could have it too. So she's got this arterial bleed, and she's shooting blood all over the place, and she's belligerent, and she's backed up in the corner, and she doesn't want anybody to touch her. And and uh, so um, the fire department wouldn't come in because the scene wasn't safe. They didn't, they didn't feel comfortable dealing with this lady, so it's me and my partner. And the, the cops are busy. They weren't even there yet because they were backed up on calls. So finally he shows up and it was one of the older cops. He's back in the back of this trailer talking to her uh, partner. And this lady's, you know, trying to push us and she's got blood and on her hands and she's like rubbing blood all over us. And I'm just kind of getting ticked off and verbally abusive and punching and hitting and kicking and biting. And, and, um, so we get out to the, we get her off of the, off of her chair. We get a, a pressure dressing put on this lady's arm. And as we're going past the, um, the refrigerator, there's like a big block of knives on top of this refrigerator. And I was with kind of an inexperienced partner and she reaches up there and she's reaching for a knife. And it's like, so I like grab that arm and we're like bringing her down to get her, 
into the ambulance. And as we're getting out to the, um, getting onto the steps of the trailer, this is my second story with trailer steps, but today, by the way, he <laughs> gets her hand loose from my partner and like haymakers me in the mouth with this oh. bloody mm, arm. God. Just hits me so hard. I saw stars. I couldn't believe how hit, hard, bad she hit me. I mean, like about knocked me out and I just grabbed her and I just sort of instinctively threw her off the stairs. I was just kind of like, no. And I just went, shoop, threw her off. And by that time, another cop was there, you know, they witnessed the whole event. Mm. And, um, and then I looked around and there's like 20 people watching this and I'm like, Ooh, that probably wasn't a good thing. And I'm like, this is either going to go one of two ways. And luckily everybody's like, get that crazy bitch out of here. And I'm like, Oh, thank God. They didn't think I went too far. Cause I kind of thought I went too far. Cause I'm, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I don't like to be mean to people or, you know, you throw did people it the off most stairs if I don't have and to. smart way that you could have. And I'm pretty sure that most of them <sighs> agreed after what she did and considering did. her, her condition, yeah. yeah, you just want her the hell away from you. Yeah, and I I thought I went I thought personally I went too far cuz I I will do whatever I can to talk people down or whatever yeah. and and but I was like, "Oh no." And so I got we got her in the back of the ambulance and brought her in and you know, she's screaming the radio. I was listening to the they record the the radio and it's like, uh, it's a 57-year-old patient. Fuck yeah. Wah, wah, wah. In the background, uh, stand by. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm all put her, you know, <laughs> whatever. It, Shut up, you know, and, and then got her into the hospital. But it was, it was that day I got done, and, um, and one, of my, one of the guys, he's actually a PA now, too, uh, he was coming on night shift. He's like, Hey, you know, they're, they're having this PA program and, you know, and they're accepting EMS providers and stuff at the, the local college. And I went home that night and I filled out my, uh, filled out my application. I bet you did. <laughs> I'm done with EMS. You know what I'm has like, always I, shocked me is how they make, I think, at least from what I looked at when I looked into it years ago. Maybe it was only a few years ago. I was shocked at the um, the lack of money that is made oh, yeah. by these EMTs and anyone working in EMS. I'm like, this is shocking. Oh, yeah. You know, in, where you're at in in um, Las Vegas is a, is a prime example. If you work for, like, AMR or if you mm-hmm. work for, like, one of the privates, you're going to be making maybe 14 15 bucks an hour. Yeah. If you know somebody who wants to get into EMS down there, Clark County, either Clark County Fire Department. I was at, we were in Vegas last year and we stayed at the Bellagio. It's weird how their EMS system works down there because technically the Bellagio is not part of Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. So the Clark County Fire Department shows there, but like a block away, Las Vegas fire shows up. It's it, weird. Right. right. It was kind of weird. But anyway, so I was, I was talking to those guys and, um, I got a picture of them, you know, we're out staying at the Bellagio coming back from the hard rock. I was like three sheets to the wind and the guys were there, you know, they had just done a diabetic on somebody, you know, and they were leaving the scene. I was like, Hey boys, how's it going? You know, <laughs> oh, okay. 
I was like, oh, I'm, you know, ex-paramedic. Oh, okay, you know, because I'm sure they get that all the time. Can I get a picture with you? Right. And But they actually let me take a picture with them. So I sat and talked to them for like 15 minutes. And those Clark County guys, and they said the Las Vegas fire paramedics, they do really well. You know, really? they make like, yeah, 70, 75 grand a year. Wow. They do really, really well. But like, yeah, if you work for one of the privates, like that, because Clark County doesn't, they don't transport. So they have to have like AMR or what is it? Sun, I don't know, some of these. Oh, Sun, sun Medic or something. or something. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're the ones that come and transport. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, the guys that are on the fire department, you know, and good pensions, think 20 year retirement. Those are, that's a career, you know, yeah. that's a career. But, um, and I was lucky where I work. It was a, it was a hospital based EMS system. We did pretty good. I mean, we were probably the best paid paramedics in the state, but it still wasn't a great living. I mean, you're like, exactly. Oh, okay, and that, PA, was, that sounds pretty damn good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and you're making, you're making that. 15 bucks, you know, 15, 16 bucks an hour, yeah. which, you know, it's just, it's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, for the, for the, for the amount of, uh, stress you put yourself into, I mean, I've had, I've got friends that are, you know, in their forties that have had heart attacks that are paramedics, you know, they're on call, they're getting called in the middle of the night. Um, for the amount of, uh, patients you come in contact with going out on days like today during a blizzard and getting hit on the highway. And then the, the interventions that we do, the, I mean, man, a paramedic can do a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, lots of medications. They, if, if, if you're having a medical emergency on a plane, they shouldn't be asking for a doctor because you might get a podiatrist or a dermatologist. They should be asking for paramedics. That's no what they should be looking for. Yeah. They're who you want when you're having an in-flight emergency. Yeah. Calm, cool, and, um, collected. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so that was, the, that was the biggest reason for going back to school. Is And it's funny because I'll talk to my cohorts that went um, – that went back to either med school or to PA school. And uh, it's like, you know, if I could get, get paid what I get paid now and work the streets, I'd go back in a minute just because it was so much fun. I mean, it's just, a, it's a hoot. I mean, it's just, I bet your shift flies you know. by. Oh yeah. I mean, it's just the stuff, the stuff you see, I mean, this, well, there's a lot of stressful stuff, but it's fun. And the camaraderie is just, I mean, Holy cow. Those, those people, I mean, you know, when you witness some of that, the stuff that you see with those people, it's like, they're like your family, you know, my closest, my closest, closest, closest friends that I'll have till the day I die are the people that I've worked the streets with basically in the ditches and the (laughs) whatever, the bedrooms and the The bloody trailers and basements. (laughs) Yeah. Bloody nasty trailers. So still very close to them. Mark, if you uh, you run into any other interesting uh, ghosts or people that get uh, their souls stuck in various places, you'd make sure to give me a call back because that is... Uh, I will do that. It's always good to hear that's stories like that. That's about the only thing. That's about the only thing that, that I personally have been involved with. Uh I don't know. And I like to think of myself as an observant person, but, uh, and I think of myself as an empathic person. I, I'm a, 
it's funny, you know, you go to, and I think part of it's because I'm in medicine, but I'll tell you what, if I go to the mall and there is somebody with some special needs or um, somebody who's having a bad day or something, those people are just drawn to me. They're like, hi, you know, how are you? And mm-hmm. it's just, it's just kind of uncanny. So I think of myself as like approachable and stuff like that, but I've never had any ghosts come up to me and, and I've had lots of potential for that to happen, but that's the closest thing I've got for you. Oh no, these are good stories. Um, quite fascinating. And it's good to hear the story of your dad. And I know that that gave you a lot of comfort with what he said. And he's just like, I don't have anything to worry about that. That's a really powerful statement. I got to finish that story too. I forgot to tell you about this. So, so my dad died. Um, and this, like I said, this is at the hospital that I work at now. So I stayed in the room with them for probably a half hour. And then, um, I, uh, went out to the nurse's station and was talking to the, the staff there at the hospital. Cause they're, you know, my coworkers and it's like, Oh, I gotta, you know, call the funeral home and everything. And, you know, call my brothers and all this stuff. I think I'd actually call my brothers, but just kind of was talking to them and getting some hugs and, and, uh, I said, you know, I wonder if I should, my mom at the time lived in a, in an assisted living facility and, um, so if you leave the hospital and you go up a road, uh, go straight up, um, and you go one way, you'll go right into the assisted living. If you turn left and go up a hill, you'll basically run into my house. So we, I lived like four blocks away from where my mom lives and probably six blocks away from the hospital. So my dad was a big hunter. He's big into hunting deer and all this stuff. So we, you know, it's middle of the winter, but it's in the middle of town. Um, I pull out of the parking lot. And I said, I said to myself, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to go home. This is like two, three in the morning. I'm going to go get some sleep. And then I'm going to go uh, talk to my mom at like six 30 in the morning. I'm going to let her get some sleep. Cause she knew dad was probably going to pass away that night. She went home and got some sleep. So I get in my car, I start driving up that street and as soon as I pull out of the parking lot, there's like four deer in the parking lot. And I'm like, that's weird. So as I'm driving, these deer are running like right in front of me. They get out to the, the street that goes north at, and they're running down the street, like paralleling my car. Mm. And I'm like, what? That's weird. I've never seen deer in town like that. You know, it's like right in the smack dab in the middle of town. And they're running and they're running and they're running and we get to the stop sign and they turn left to go to my house and you turn right to go to my, where my folks lived. And those damn deer ran through the parking lot of the assisted living where my parents lived. Oh. And I'm like, really? That is cool. That was the other thing I forgot to tell you about. So I stopped in and mom was awake. And I saw so then I told her that dad died and that was, that was weird. That was really bizarre. And then, um, lo and behold, I find out that my sister-in-law in her infinite wisdom had put it out on Facebook at like three oh. thirty in the morning that my dad died. Well, my mom would have found out via Facebook 
that my dad had died. So I think that would, there must've been something there. I don't know if it was, I'm sure, I hope my dad isn't a deer, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. Something made those deer run through that parking lot because. That's cool. And they were paralleling your car, you said, huh? Yeah. They're right in front of me. There was like one right beside me, just a small little yearling doe. And I'm just like sitting there and just like, you know, they were actually in the parking lot of the hospital and they ran right down straight up to and right through the yard, basically, of the place where my folks mm-hmm. lived. So that was cool. kind of weird. Of all the times, huh? That was cool. Huh? Of all the times for that to happen. Yeah. So I'm glad I I'm glad that did happen because yeah. it did make me pull in there. Right. So. Well, Mark, thank you so much for doing this through uh, the start of a cold yeah. and a literal blizzard outside. It didn't even mess with the phone, it so is. I'm very happy. I was kind of waiting for it to cut you off there. Yeah, yep. So far, so good. Well, yeah. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for doing this. Not a problem. Any? Yeah, I know that you guys don't talk a lot about things like this, but if, if anyone's like, oh, I have this really cool story, you'd be like, hey, you can email this really weird chick, and she likes to collect weird stories. <laughs> I will She's all that. into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, well, thanks, Mark. We'll keep in touch. All right. Sounds good. All right. Bye-bye. Well, I'm so-and-so. I was given this name by my parents. I've been to such and such a college. I've done these things in my profession. I produce a little bar. Buddha says, forget it. That's some story. That's all gone. That's all past. I want to see the real you you are now. Nobody knows who that is, because we don't uh, know ourselves except through listening to our echoes and consulting our memories. But then there's a real evil, and that again leads us back to this question, uh, who are you? That is the real We shall see how they play with this exam by the cohorts to get you to come out of your shell.
Straight, 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 straight. 